Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope, joined by uh, the newest member of a Blue Jackets beat, Colin Haas Hill. How how are you enjoying your life as a hockey writer, Colin? Yeah, this isn't a joke. This isn't a joke. At this point, one week ago, I had no idea that this would be where I'm at. But you know, I feel like I should mention I am writing on First Ohio Battery, um, which is owned by Jason Priestess, who also owns Eleven Warriors, and that is sort of what I'm doing for you know the main part of my job right now as we figure out whether there's actually going to be a football season because the NHL as I learned this week <laughs> is gearing up for its playoffs and I'll be honest I'm an NHL novice I'm not someone who has been around the game and watched it forever but you know it's a, it's an enjoyable experience having to learn basically everything about a sport a team um, a league where what what's happening right now in a totally different sport but thankfully on this podcast we'll only talk Ohio State football because that is that that is that is the bread and butter well Colin I think you're doing a really good job jumping right in over there and um, you know I might even help out a little bit as well I don't know much more about uh, hockey even Colin does so uh, we'll see how that goes if it it gets to that but wanted to start off the show by mentioning that we may or may not have a podcast next week uh gonna kind of depend on if uh, there's actual news that happens that's worth covering but you know because colin's gonna be helping out with blue jacket stuff here during the playoff run and you know because there's so much uncertainty uh with football season uh, we might take a few weeks off here and there uh coming up here uh if if we get some good news here in the next few weeks, and then football season ramps back up. Then you know we'll we'll keep going with uh, the weekly episodes, and certainly uh, you know any big news that comes out that, that we need to talk about, uh, we're certainly going to keep uh, podcasting here. So if you don't, if there's no episode next week, don't think we shut down the podcast. Don't think we're going away. Uh, just know that we we may be taking a few weeks off here and there uh, because you know Colin's going to be balancing that. I might help out a little bit as well, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard because we're getting to the point now that I feel like, okay, until we know there's actually going to be a football season, there's not a whole lot more we can continue to talk about in regards to what could happen this fall. Because I think we've kind of covered almost all of that over the last seven months, and uh, I, I, there's not a whole ton more that we can really get into, I think, at this point. Un- until we get to where we know uh, if those games are actually going to happen. Well, Dan, I'll tell you right now, we're recording this. Right now it's 7 p.m. on Tuesday. I'm absolutely terrified that I'm going to wake up, you know, the podcast is going to post, you know, it, it goes onto the website you know, every single Wednesday at noon. And at 11 p.m., inevitably, there's going to be some crazy news that drops because we're at the point um, in this whole cycle where I'm just sort of ready for anything at any time. Um, I know. Uh, so, so earlier that earlier today on Tuesday, Ohio State announced that it's going to resume uh, voluntary workouts on Wednesday, and that was the the latest piece of news to drop. But we're at we're at a point right now where I don't really know what's coming next, and I'm sort of just ready for anything. Well, if there's news at 11 p.m. tomorrow, as you said, we'll be PM? okay because you did okay. say p.m. But but. <laughs> That actually is what happened last week because last week, uh, Wednesday evening after our podcast had gone live, we got the news that Ohio State was going to be shutting down its voluntary workouts. 
And uh, the good news that we got uh, today, Tuesday, as we're recording, is that Ohio State will be back at voluntary workouts. Uh, those will be going on before this podcast uh, goes live on Wednesday. So that's the good news. The bad news is the Big Ten has moved to cancel non-conference games for the 2020 season. And, and I don't even I, I really I shouldn't even say that's the bad news because I don't I don't necessarily think that it is a a precursor to anything or a, a bad decision. I think uh, we were getting to the point that uh, tough decisions had to start to be made. Uh, you know, I, I had said it before on this podcast. I really didn't think the Ohio State Oregon game was going to happen, so it was time to be realistic uh, and admit that that wasn't going to happen. Admit that it was not going to be possible uh, to have this season go off uh, as scheduled as normal. But it, it, certainly, there's a lot of people that are are starting to feel like uh, this is the beginning of the end. And talking to Gene Smith last week after the Big Ten made that announcement, he admitted he is, quote, very concerned about whether there will be a season. He he also said, I was cautiously optimistic, referring to uh, back in May when we had talked to him, and said, I'm not even there now. Uh, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, said it's, quote, not a fait accompli that we're going to have sports in the fall. And we saw multiple uh, lower-level conferences, uh, FCS like the Ivy League and the Patriot League, uh, they announced in the past week, that there will be no fall sports. So certainly, I, I think we've certainly tried to be optimistic, uh, tried to hold out as much hope as we can that there's going to be football this fall. But I think at this point, to not admit that the season is in very real jeopardy, we would just have our heads in our sand at this point. Yeah, I think that... For both of our um, opinions, I think I could speak for you on this, a heck of a lot less certain that there's going to be a season this fall than I was at this point a week ago when we recorded this. Um, I think that's fair to say. Um, when you see the Big Ten make that move, I mean, there's a lot of ways that, that you can you can view it, but you know, the, the, the thing that I was underlying in all of them is that it's pretty clear that they're extremely nervous about whether the season's going to happen and you see that in their actions now as as you saw it in their words for for so many for so many weeks um and it's you know it felt inevitable a little bit like you said it i didn't ever really think the oregon game was going to happen over the past month it just felt like it wasn't it, it just felt like it wasn't the prudent thing to do to send the team across the country to face oregon um when you didn't necessarily have to to, to get enough to get in this season but I think it's interesting, like, when, when I think about why Ohio, why the Big Ten did this and, and why it moved so quickly, like, one of the reasons Gene Smith mentioned was the flexibility, whereas if you have a, a full um, 12-game season that starts in the beginning of September and goes uh, for, for, for a few months, then all of a sudden... Um, you had you, you're you're just unable to to move games around and 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 now now Ohio State and, and every other team in the conference will be able to sort of shift things around and and you know I wonder if that's actually a thing that they'll be able to do but you know it's a good idea and I think right now the Big Ten's positioning itself to where you know if they view it that that you know they're that the risk is at a point that they would be willing to play college football 
that they can move things around and they can shift things to where they want it. And now they put the control um, in their own hands. And, you know, we talked a lot about over the past few months about there not being one big central figure who's making the decisions. And while that's still the case, I think right now when you're looking at the Big Ten, this is going to be the Big Ten's college football season. I have no idea what the SEC is going to do. I don't know what all of the smaller conferences are going to do. But if we're looking at it from an Ohio State perspective, it doesn't even matter anymore. It matters what the Big Ten does. And and that, to me, is sort of where where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, that's such a big variable in all this that makes it so challenging is the fact that there is there is no unified power here that's saying uh, you know this is what everybody's gonna do so you do kind of have every conference defend for themselves and you know you heard it from some of the comments that you know commissioners and athletic directors from other conferences made last week that they were actually caught off guard by the Big Ten's decision. I think some of them, quite frankly, were unhappy that the Big Ten came out and decided to make this decision last week because I think they, you know, we, we heard the SEC on Monday. Uh, they're going to wait until late July. Uh, sounds like the ACC and the Big 12 are kind of in the same boat, but they want to wait a little while before they make any decisions. Uh, the Pac-12 did follow the Big Ten one day later and make the move to go uh, to conference games only. Uh, but you can tell, I mean, there's, there's definitely uh, not everybody's on the same page. You would like to think with four months into this that you know, there'd, there'd be better communication between everybody, that uh, there'd be more people on the same page, but it still feels like uh, that's not happening. Uh, but, I, but, I, but I do think, you know, from a Big Ten perspective, like, you know, when people are saying, you know, they're caught off guard and why are they doing this now? And, you know, it, it, does a decision need to be made this early? I mean, my perspective is, yeah, decisions need to start to be made here. We we got to start making tough decisions. We we can't keep kicking this can down the road much longer because the, the scheduled start of a season that it was for Ohio State it was it is less than two months away. Uh, we you, you can't keep going much longer than we've gone right now and, and say uh, we hope the season's going to start on time. We hope the season's going to start on time. And you can you can hear that from talking to someone like Gene Smith that. There were things he was talking about a couple months ago, like hoping there would be 40,000 to 50,000 fans in Ohio Stadium, like hoping there would be national solutions uh, for competitive equity for everybody on the same page. Now he's just saying, man, I just hope we have a regular season. I just I just hope our kids get a chance to play because that's where we are right now. And, you know, I, I think that's why... You know, I mean, you think about it, if, if all of this wasn't going on, this idea that Ohio State wouldn't play any conference games uh, would really feel like, you know, just a huge deal. I mean, some of the stuff that's being proposed that, you know, the schedule, I mean, you know, I, I think there's kind of a question right now, and maybe we find out later this week, you know, are is the Big Ten just going to add one game to every team's schedule, or could there be more radical schedule changes uh in terms of you know teams even you know maybe playing two teams in the same playing teams twice in the same year or uh all kinds of different things that they could potentially do just to try to have a season and you know i think it's we're at this point now that it's you know we can't worry so much about 
you know, how these things are going to affect the college football playoff, even if there is one. I mean, we can't worry so much about tradition. You know, if, if the Michigan game isn't played uh, on Thanksgiving week, you know, that might be a concession that has to be made here because, like you said before, Colin, uh, flexibility was a key word that Gene Smith talked about, that uh, they've got to be able, if they're going to have any kind of season, they've got to be able to, you know, make changes here. They've got to be able to move things around. And, you know, you have the possibility, you know, I think I think the Big Ten would ideally like to start, you know, around that September 5th timeline that the season was going to start. But you could have the possibility where maybe the season starts in September and then maybe it stops at some point if things get worse. And so I think at this point, everybody's just kind of hoping, hope we get something, but we really don't know if we're going to get anything. Here's why I like what the Big Ten did. Like, I, I just feel like, you know, when there's no when there's no central body like you would imagine, maybe the NCAA um, is in a perfect world where you know they're they're leading the charge. I think that what Kevin Warren did is, you know, he showed leadership. He tro- he showed true leadership, and he said, you know, here's where we're going to steer the ship, and here's where we're going to go. And then, you know, when it gets to this point, it's the Big Ten that's making the Big Ten's decisions. And they're all going to make those decisions together, and they're going to go down that road together. And it makes sense because they're trying to be proactive. They're trying to buy themselves some time, which this did, because all of a sudden you don't have to start on the first week of September. You could push it back a little bit. And you don't have to get all the other conferences on board and try to convince them that this this is your decision. They're going to do what's best for them. And if they think they can play on September 5th for Ohio State, then they'll figure out a way to play then. But if not, now it's in their power to move it back without worrying about what the others do. And sure, it would be awesome if everybody was on the same page. I just don't think that's realistic. And like you said, I was a little bit surprised that the Big Ten actually pulled the trigger when they did. But I wasn't I, I, I wasn't really concerned about where they did it too soon. I mean, what are the odds that if you waited one more week things would have changed so drastically that all of a sudden you're gonna play these these three games and give your and not give yourself the flexibility that all of a sudden you gave yourself. Yeah, I mean the Oregon game wasn't gonna happen. It it wasn't no. gonna happen. I, no I think long, we were no at that point. You, you know, I I think we had talked about it before, you know, I, I think I thought the Bowling Green and Buffalo games maybe had a, a somewhat better chance of happening because uh, they are close enough that you know those teams could bus in and um, you, you know I think I thought I thought there was still a chance but it, I think a lot of it just does go back to what you say that now the Big Ten can just focus on itself the Big Ten doesn't have to worry now about what the Pac-12 is going to do what the MAC is going to do what the SEC is going to do what the ACC is going to do they can just focus on what they're going to do. And I, and, and I totally, completely agree with the point of Kevin Warren showing leadership here because it, it is hard to be the first one. I, I, I think, you know, the way these things usually go is is one conference does it and then everybody kind of follows suit. And not, we're not sure if that's going to happen, but I think to go out and be the first one when no other FBS conference has, has made a move to cancel conference games, to go out on that ledge first, uh, I think that is a strong... A leadership move by Kevin Warren, and and I do. I think it is now very much about you know what the Big Ten is going to do, and who knows, you know maybe maybe the SEC and the Big Twelve, maybe they play full twelve game seasons, and you know the Big Ten plays ten, and 
you know, you would hope that uh, in terms of, you know, the college football playoff, if there is one, that, you know, the Big Ten would still be treated fairly just considering the circumstances that we're dealing with this year. But I think that in, in terms of, you know, just doing the right thing in terms of having a regular season, you know, that's what the focus needs to be on right now. And, you know, what it really needs to be on to me, you know, not just scheduling, but it really needs to be on testing and on figuring out a plan for how you're possibly going to play games in two months. Because to me, if there are going to be football games this fall, the question that has not been answered, that we've been waiting to get an answer for, and that there needs to be an answer for real soon is, what's going to happen when guys test positive? What's going to happen when there's been a potential outbreak? And I think you know, most of those protocols, it sounds like maybe there's been some conversations among the Power Five conferences about this, which there absolutely should be, but at least within the Big Ten, there's got to be a sound plan. All 14 schools absolutely have to be on the same page about how they're going to test players and what they're going to do uh, to keep both their own teams and the visiting teams safe. It's an interesting moment, you know, the Big Ten's going to be in to, to see sort of where they go from here. I mean, I think it's I think it's just hard to predict right now. I mean, part of me is interested in, in the flexibility that Gene Smith talked about, too. Um, but the other part of me is a little bit skeptical that they're actually going to be able to, to you know, push games around and whatnot. I, I think that that's going to be really hard to do in the middle of the season. I don't know about you, but... I mean, there are just, I'll be honest, like, there are so, so many questions that I still have that it's just going to be hard for them to answer in, in the little time that they do. And the, the points that you brought up were good as well. And I just think, you know, I think that the reason why Kevin Warren and the Big Ten's decision to me makes so much sense is that you have all these questions. You have to at least figure out a way to give yourself some degree of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, that, that question about, moving games around and being flexible within the season, uh, it, it's, it's going to be hard. It's definitely something that's easier said than done. I, I don't think you can rule out the possibility. I think you have to try to be open to that because, uh, you know, I, I do think if you're able to have a season, there, there's no way you're going to get through a full season of 14 teams without some team having a significant enough uh, you know, outbreak, uh, rise in cases, whatever you want to call it, that they're just not going to be able to play a game. So I, I think you're going to have to have some flexibility. But I, I think I think what's more likely to happen than games like the new opponents being scheduled is I think ideally if you start the season early enough that you've got some built-in space in the schedule, then if a team can't play one week, you could you know potentially move that team from. You know, whenever they whenever they were set to play that game, you could move it to the end of the season. So I I think that's probably more likely in terms of flexibility. Is you know, if a team has to take two weeks off, then you just move those games to whatever the the extra bye weeks are. But it, it's going to be challenging. I mean, the, the big challenge that college sports have that's different from what we're seeing in many of these pro sports is you can't put everybody in a bubble. You know, you can't you you, you can't you can't do that. You you're going to have people on separate campuses and, and traveling to you know different campuses every week and it's it's you can't really isolate 
players. You can't quarantine players the same way you would with pro athletes. So there's a lot more variables here that go into this than what we're seeing in some of these leagues like the NBA and the NHL and you know even you know the TBT that we we saw here in Columbus. Uh, there's just different variables that go into it that you know makes it a lot more challenging to actually get through a season and to be able uh, you know, to, to, to adapt as the season plays out. Dan, what do you think, um, as we sit here today on Tuesday night, is the, are, are the major things that have to happen for a college football season to be played? And not a college football season to be played, but we should be more specific now, since the Big Ten did what the Big Ten did. What, what has to happen in your mind for a Big Ten season to be played? Yeah, I think the number one thing, and I think this does apply to all of college football, is COVID-19 numbers have to go down. They have to go down across the country. I think that's the number one thing. I think that's where it all starts. And obviously, that's out of anyone who's involved in college football's control, really. I mean, it's, it's, you know, certainly college football can take whatever steps it can to try to limit the numbers within its teams you know colleges can take whatever steps to to try to limit the numbers within their campuses and their campus communities but i think this really starts just nationally just what you're seeing in in these states across the country where you know right now a lot of the numbers have gone up in the past few weeks and a couple months ago when we were hearing more optimism numbers were going down so I think the numbers have to start going back down first and foremost uh, for a college football season. Now, I, I think that really is number one. And you know, obviously, you know, there's a, a lot of a lot, a lot of people in college football right now are are making it very clear that they want you to wear a mask because uh, they need everybody to do their part uh, to try to to try to get. Uh, these COVID-19 numbers down. So certainly, I'm wearing a mask. Uh, certainly, I would encourage you all to do the same uh, if, if, if you want to see college football this fall. Uh, and then, you know, I think, again, I think after that, I think the big thing to me is you have to have a plan. You you have to have a plan for, you know, what's going to happen when things go wrong. Because things are going to go wrong. There's, there's no possible way you're going to get through a season with what's going on right now without having any situations that come up. So you, you just have to have a solid plan in place for, you know, what happens if a team can't play? You know, what happens if, you know, there, there's an outbreak within a game? What are the policies that every school has to abide by in order for football to be played in a way that the risks are deemed acceptable for football to happen. And I and I don't know the answer to that, but the reality is there's no surefire answer to that. And I don't know if they're going to get to that point. You know, I think you, you hear it in talking to someone like Gene Smith, who there's, a, there's millions of reasons why Gene Smith wants to get to that point because Ohio State is going to lose a lot of money if there is no football played this year. But Gene Smith is also someone who I think really does genuinely care about the health and safety of Ohio State's athletes and recognizes that you know there's a lot of risk involved here. There's a lot of 
you know, things that can potentially go wrong here. And, you know, certainly, you know, there's a lot of, you know, debates we could have about, you know, you know, whether, you know, playing, whether not playing football is actually going to keep football players uh, safe, given that they could, you know, catch it out in the world, certainly as well. But, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I think people like Gene Smith, I think people like Kevin Warren, I, I, I think, you know, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are people around the country who will just do whatever it takes to play football, and and they're not necessarily going to have the athletes top of mind. But I think for decision makers in the Big Ten, I really do believe this. I, I think, you know, their conscience is not going to allow them to go forward with just playing football and pretending like things are normal if they really don't believe that they have a plan in place, that they're doing what they need to do to at least try to make it safe for the players. Mm-hmm. No, I think that, you know, that's one of my main things too, is, is I, I just wonder, you know, how, what is going to be an acceptable level of risk? I know, you know, Gene Smith was asked about that on the conference call last week, and I think that that's the hardest thing for these administrators to actually figure out because it's a legitimate question. I don't think they ever wanted to, you know, be in this position where they have to make this decision about a virus um, that has turned into a pandemic and obviously has, has ravaged so much on on the world. But they're they're going to be in this position, and it's I, I don't really know if there's a right or wrong call right now. And I think that's the reason why they want to buy themselves as much time as they can and give themselves as much flexibility as they can. So I think anyone, you know, getting all upset about them making a decision so quickly, I I just think it's fine. I think it's okay to do right now because the season was never going to happen as is. And I think that now we just have to go forward and, like we've been we've been going through this entire off season just imagining that college football will be played like normal and you know we try and talk about college football that way but at the same time now we just have we we, we have to go forward and resign ourselves to the fact that the best case scenario is that they play only big 10 teams and who knows what happens to the postseason it's not even worth figuring out right now because everybody's trying to do their own their own things they're trying the SEC's doing its own thing. Big Ten's doing its own thing. If they all get on the same page, great. If not, I guess we'll figure it out the same way that we're figuring everything else out. Yeah, the reality is at this point, if if we get any college football this fall, uh, and obviously specifically to our case, Ohio State football this fall, that's got to be considered a positive at this point. And I think, you know, certainly if if you're a player, you know, an Ohio State player, I I, I think. You're gonna you're gonna want to go into this season with an understanding of let's appreciate every game we get let's 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 appreciate every game we get because there's just no even if even if the season starts in September there's just gonna be no guarantees that the season's gonna be able to you know be played out in full there's there's no guarantees that we're gonna get a college football playoff or a true national champion this year we hope we do but there's just no guarantees of that pivoting off of that a little. There are a lot of people, I think, now that have gotten to the point where they think, just move it to spring because clearly there's going to be problems this fall, and if you move it to spring, that 
buys you more time, uh, that gives you more months to plan. Because I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, we're at a point now where I think everybody involved in this would like to have more time uh, to plan than they do. Because I, I don't think they're where they need to be for a season that's supposed to start in less than two months. But there's also a lot of challenges involved with the spring football season. And I, I still don't think that, you know, Gene Smith said last week they really haven't discussed that in detail. Uh, I don't think that's a road they want to go down until they're forced into going down it. And you know, there's a lot of potential drawbacks there. I mean, certainly the first one you look at is, you know, if there's a spring football season, it there's a good chance it means Justin Fields will not be Ohio State's quarterback because uh, there's a good chance that if there's a spring season, a lot of the top players are going to opt out uh, because, you know, with, with the NFL coming up, you know, if you're a guy who's a first-round draft pick, uh, the potential downside of playing a spring season uh, definitely might uh, outweigh the upside at that point. You know, and then you've also just got to factor into fact of it, you know, you could have you know every sport on campus going on at the same time and there's a, there's a lot of different variables that make a spring season challenging so i don't think you can rule it out because i think if there's no fall then i certainly i think you're going to try to make a spring season happen because uh, you still want to get that football money and you still want to get those guys an opportunity to play but uh, it, it, it the, the reality is to to say just move it to spring and assume that everything is going to go off without a hitch in in 2021 the spring of 2021 uh, that's naive probably because there's there's a lot of different uh problems that you could still run into even you know four months later yeah i don't know even if it's worth fully delving into because it is like that would be the most convoluted thing in the world like you have you have players um like you said who you know Justin Fields wouldn't play for Ohio State if the season was in the spring, nor would Sean Wade. And other players would have the decisions to make. How would you do two football seasons in the same calendar year? Would early enrollees play? How would scholarship limits work? I, I just don't know. There are so many variables there that it's it's just so hard to even speculate on. And that, to me, is why it's, it's worthy of being viewed as you know, the last chance. If, if nothing else works this fall, then yeah, I think you move it to the spring before you outright cancel it. I don't think I don't think all those challenges are too much to overcome. Although obviously there are a million and a half challenges this fall, so I just think whatever you're doing with football, none of this is going to be easy. So sure, even if you move it to the spring, it's not optimal. There, I, I mean, it's not even worth running down everything that that would um, either go wrong or, or people would view as as major negatives, but. I do think it's a legitimate possibility, but I mean we're still in July. I mean there there we're still a month and a half away from when Ohio State was scheduled to begin the twenty twenty season. So I still think that there's time to figure this out. And like we've been talking about the Big Ten and, and you know, other college football conferences have given themselves some time. They've given themselves some flexibility. So yes, I, I, I think spring football is a little bit crazy. But I'm not ruling it out, but I'm also not willing to go there yet because I, I just think we're still, you know, weeks or, or months away from from even really viewing that as a as a realistic con- consideration. Yeah, nothing can be ruled out at this point. Because no, nothing at all. <clears throat> there's just there's just so many uh, challenges on the table right now, and you know, 
I think everybody, you know, I think everybody's still in the same place where you know Ryan Day was when we talked last talked to him months ago, and and he said, you know, any any football is better than no football. I mean, I think everybody's still in that boat that you know you'd like to have some football over over no football, but you know. The, the reality is that's the conversation now. I think I think that's the biggest thing that's changed in the past week. Is I think, you know, even until this past week, we could still hold out some hope that maybe, just maybe, you know, there was still going to be a a full season or close to it. Whereas I think now, you know, we've moved into the reality of maybe there will be some season. Uh, but I but I think. You know, any hope of this really being a anything close to normal season, I think that's pretty small at this point. And I think now it's just about trying to salvage whatever you can. And you know, hopefully there will be a a season. I mean, I I, I think you know now the best case scenario for the Big Ten is a a ten game conference regular season schedule, and then you know hopefully some form of postseason at the end uh you know i wouldn't be surprised if it ends up becoming a uh six game schedule because yeah anything could happen with that (laughs) yeah i'm yeah no absolutely i think you know anything could happen but you just have to hope that there is going to be some form of you know a football season uh, for for us to watch this fall, and you know, there's a lot of a lot a lot of people. Whether you're a fan, uh, whether you're somebody who makes money off of uh, college football, whether you're a player, there's a lot a lot of people who you know have a lot of incentive here to want to see this thing happen. Uh, it's just going to come down to whether it ultimately becomes feasible to do that. Yeah, I think um, you know it's. It, it, it's just so hard right now. I, I, I understand, like, we've talked so much about, you know, the difficulties of, of all of this, but I do think, you know, a season in which things could be shifting around, games could be moving, that sounds both crazy and, you know, if they did it safely, that sounds entertaining. <laughs> like, if I'm being honest, like, I think that we, we should have at least a little bit of fun with it, you know, none of this is, is what we want, but at the same time, you know, what West, what Big Ten West team would we see Ohio State play? Would we see Ohio State Michigan earlier in the season? I, I think that there are a lot of interesting things that could happen if, and only if, the season actually gets played, and I do think that's largely outside of the Big Ten's hands. I do think, you know, a lot of it's just coronavirus numbers have to come down. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree with that. Like, I mean, I... I think I've said it before, but I'll, I'll definitely say it now. Like, if if we get are lucky enough to get football this fall, let's enjoy it. Let's appreciate it. Let's embrace it for what it is. It's not gonna be normal. It's not gonna be uh, the full season that we had we had hoped and expected to see this year. But let's enjoy it for what it is, and let's enjoy and embrace the quirks that come with it. You know, I think there there are I think there are going to be some very quirky things about this football season if it happens. But you know, I mean, you know, to me, this is you know, this is kind of a time to experiment with some different things and to kind of kind of just enjoy it for what it is and and appreciate you know college football for what it is, and hopefully, hopefully, whenever this this whole thing is over. Uh, hopefully we won't forget about it, and hopefully we'll we'll really appreciate 
uh, you know, being able to just have a normal college football season again. Uh, hopefully, a year from now. I know, <laughs> I know, there's you know now people even starting to worry about uh, you know next year. I don't even want to get go into that road. I really, really hope we don't. We're not talking about that a year from now. But uh, you know, just just hope we get whatever we get this year and embrace it for what it is. Well, as I said at the top of shows, it. It, it, it almost feels a little weird to just talk about normal football right now because uh, we just don't know what's going to happen. But I uh, did want to finish our uh, State of a Position series that we've been doing uh, for the past couple months and, and talk about the safeties. We've gone through the whole offense, gone through most of the defense, and now can wrap up the defense by talking about the safeties. And you know, as we talked about last week, as, as Colin brought up, uh, this is a... This is a really pivotal position where Ohio State has huge shoes to fill because Jordan Fuller uh, was probably a little bit underrated. He was he was he was so reliable on the back end of the defense last year and maybe didn't get as much attention as he deserved. But you know he played a very important role in the success of the defense uh, by just being someone they could count on to prevent big plays on the back end. And whether someone can come in and admirably fill that role this year, I think could be as important as anyone on the defense in terms of the defense being successful again. Yeah, I mean, I essentially wrote that a, a couple months ago when I said I think Josh Proctor might be the most important player on this defense. But, you know, it's it's interesting because there are a few – it's sort of like the linebackers and in, in that it's not as simple as will this player play or will this player play. It's a little bit more complex where you have to wonder – how often will they go single safety looks? Who would be the safety, you know, in that kind of formation? If they go with more two safety looks, who would be on the field there? What would be beneficial to Ohio State? Because when I think about what Ohio State has at safety, it's quite literally the opposite of Jordan Fuller. <laughs> like, like to a T. Everything about Josh Proctor, who I think we both agree is probably the next in line guy at safety and, and the guy that, you know, since he came to Ohio State, it always seemed like he would be the, the, the next starter after Jordan Fuller. Um, everything about Josh Proctor is the complete opposite in that, you know, he's a harder hitter than Jordan Fuller. I don't think he's as sure a tackler as Jordan Fuller. Jordan Fuller was always in the right place. I think, you know, Josh Proctor's willing to get out of position a little bit to make a play. And when I wonder, you know, how will he be able to fill Jordan Fuller's shoes at safety, I do wonder if he should be put in those exact same positions or if naturally, to, to take advantage of what Josh Proctor does well, they'll move him around and he won't necessarily be that one high safety that, that Jordan Fuller was last year, which oftentimes did a lot of, you know, making sure there wasn't a 60-yard run <laughs> or making sure that, you know, everybody was lined up right and making sure that, that nothing terrible went wrong. He was essentially, to me, you know, I think Jeff Halfley called him the, the right thing in my mind, which was he called him the eraser. And I'm not sure that, that, that Josh Proctor's really an eraser, if that makes sense. He's more of the, I, I don't know, point scorer. Like, he's, he's the opposite of an eraser. He's the drawer. I think Josh Proctor is probably the next in line, but I think I'm less sure of that than maybe I was four months ago, and I think that's mostly just because uh, we haven't actually seen any practice in those four months, and things are still 
uh, extremely uncertain right now about, you know, even if there's going to be a, a 2020 season, like what the lineups are going to look like because mm-hmm. uh, camp hasn't started yet and they've barely practiced. But it seems to be a lot of people who really like Marcus Hooker within the program. And I think Marcus Hooker is within Ohio State's plans as someone who's going to play a significant role this year. And I think pro- I think if Ohio State only has one starting safety, I think it will probably be Proctor because I think, you know, he has he offers so much upside on the back end, so much playmaking ability that I think he has star potential. But I'm not totally sure on that. I, I think I think Marcus Hooker is a guy who, you know, has a chance to you know, make a legitimate run at that job uh, that they do like. And, and maybe that in itself becomes an argument for going to more two safety looks this year if you don't have one clear-cut guy at the top of a depth chart. I would be more you know locked in on the two safety looks if I thought that maybe Ohio State would essentially play more of a 4-2-5. But I do think Ohio State, since it has seven upperclassmen linebackers, that wouldn't make a ton of sense in my mind if they did that. Um, I'm interested to see what they do, though, because I, I, like you, I'm intrigued by by, by what Marcus Hooker offers, even though I think that Jordan Fuller will probably get you know the 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 majority of the snaps, but so Dan, what 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 you've seen from Jordan from or I get Josh Brockter and Jordan Fuller's name mixed up apparently more than I ever knew, but what from what you've seen of of Josh Proctor, you know what what is your confidence level that he will be a good starter in twenty twenty? Not a great starter, not someone who you know is is a little bit questionable back there, but a good starter like a. I don't know, an honorable mention at least all Big Ten guy. Yeah, I think he'll be good. I think he's I mean, I think he's very, very talented. I think, you know, we, we we've seen flashes of that. Uh him him being talented and you know, and I you know, I think, you know, if you're gonna compare him to, you know, some of the safeties, you know, who struggled more a couple years ago, you know, I, I think he's a lot more talented than those guys. So uh, I I think he will do well. Like you, I, I I'm not as confident in him just being such a consistently uh, reliable eraser on the back end. But that's mostly just because we haven't seen him in that role. And obviously, you know, the one yeah, play that's yeah. <laughs> burned into everyone's brain is seeing Trevor Lawrence juke him out in the open field, which is not a great play to have burning your brain. But, you know, you also think of, you know, some of the big hits he's had, uh, some of the range he's shown. Uh, you know, there's a ton of upside there. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, everybody, you know, we talk about Marcus Hooker, yet Josh Proctor is the one who's getting compared to Malik Hooker uh, because you, you see that kind of playmaking ability on the back end. The question is, can he also be that rock-solid guy? Because Malik Hooker, we all talk about his big plays, but Malik Hooker was also a rock-solid guy on the back end, right? Mar- Malik Hooker was not a boomer bust kind of player. Malik, Malik Hooker uh, was fantastic in every asset. So... That becomes the question with Proctor. I don't think anyone has a question that Josh Proctor is going to be able to make some big plays in the back end. That question is, can he be relied upon to consistently shut down those plays in, in front of him? And and the reality is we just don't know the answer to that. No, we don't. And I think that that's sort of the hard thing about 
you know what to expect from from Ohio State safeties. And and I'll be honest too, like. I'm not totally sure what to expect from Marcus Hooker either. Oh, yeah. I think that this is one of the biggest black box positions on the entire team. Like, when I think about pure talent level, I think that Marcus Hooker is a great athlete. Maybe not Malik Hooker level, but I think he's a great athlete. And I think Josh Proctor, like, people have talked about him. Like, he might be a Malik Hooker type of athlete. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're Malik Hooker on the field. Like, I, you have to at least rein in your expectations that much. Um, but I'm not I'm not totally sure. Is there anybody else who you think will be in the mix at all? If they go to, you know, if they go to a two-safety look more often, then that could mean it, it could open the door for someone else in 2020. Yeah, I think it probably does depend on how much they go to that two-safety look. Because I think mm-hmm. Proctor and Hooker, in my mind, would pretty clearly be the top two guys on the depth chart uh, for playing that deep safety spot. Uh, you know, I think Ronnie Hickman and Bryson Shaw, you know, both of them redshirted last year. You know, those are guys who maybe, you know, could could have somewhat of a role on the defense this year. You know, we haven't seen Hickman play at all uh, because he was recovering from a torn ACL last year. But, you know, I think he's certainly a talented guy, a guy who, you know, came in with high expectations, you know, as a recruit. You know, before he suffered his injury, and you know, Bryson Shaw is a guy that you know people have had good things to say about. You know, the way he's developed so far. So I think those are both guys who could potentially play small roles on the defense this year. But I'd be surprised if either of them were you know regular guys in the secondary rotation. That's where I'm at too, and it's also a reason to not play the two safeties because what happens if something you know, happens to either Marcus Hooker or Josh Proctor that holds him out for a while. Um, I'm not 100% sure with that. Um, I think it's I, – I, I, I do think this defense, there's just so many interesting ways that Kerry Combs can go with it. And I think this is why I really want to have the season is I'm interested to see what he does. I really don't know what he's going to do. And I think – I'm not sure if they'll make the decisions because they have two safeties they rely on or – you know, in spite of the fact that they have two or that they have one safety or, or two safeties that, you know, maybe aren't Jordan Fuller and do something totally different, but they think that they can fit them into a Jordan Fuller type role. I really don't know how they're going to play this. Um, what I do think is like you, I think they're going to have two safeties that they can rely on and, and Marcus Hooker and, and Josh Proctor. And I'm also not sure if, um, I'm not sure which one will start. I think that this is the hardest position on the team to actually figure out. I really do. Yeah, I think a lot of it with the secondary alignment, uh, you hear football coaches talk all the time about getting your best 11 on the field, and I think that really is a big part of it. Because I think mm-hmm. if you look back at last year and, and you know them going pretty much exclusively with three cornerback looks, some of that was philosophical, but some of that was also because – Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Sean Wade were all clearly within the best 11 players on the team. I think they were all within the the defense. They were all within the best seven players on the defense at at minimum, I would say. So I think that that was a big reason why they were so committed to the free cornerback look last year was because they had free corners who they wanted on the field every single play. This year, I don't know if they're going to have that. They're going to have one in Sean Wade, but other than that, I'm not sure. So I, I, I think... A lot of it is going to depend on, okay, who are your four best defensive backs? You know, who's your fifth best? Who's your sixth best? And, and then you're going to kind of figure out, 
you know, what's the best way to align those guys? I don't think, you know, I don't think you're going to suddenly go back to playing two safeties on every play. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But I, I do think there's probably, you know, somewhat of a sliding scale there, uh, some ways to move things around just based on who you ultimately decide okay, who's our four best defensive backs? How many of our defensive backs are in our, our best 11? I think some of that is going to determine what Ohio State does from a defensive scheme standpoint. Yeah, and I would be, you know, I would, I would be thinking that a one safety defense primarily would be what Ohio State plays, maybe more so if I felt better about where Ohio State's cornerbacks were. Um, and I think that that, you know, when you know that you have Sean Wade, awesome. When you don't really know exactly how the other cornerbacks are going to fit around them, I think that that maybe opens the door in my mind for the possibility of more Marcus Hooker snaps. And I think that that's the part that is just so hard to know right now. Um, not even that, That's even beyond the fact that if they play one safety, would you want Josh Proctor playing that position Jordan Fuller did? I really don't know. And that's where you know we're not going to be able to go see a practice before Ohio State plays this fall, pre- presuming that they that they do play. But if we actually did go see, that would that would be one of my you know main three things that I would actually be looking for. Yeah, and I I think I think the other thing that's interesting to I I you know first of all I clearly agree in regards to the two safety look. I think you know the door is open for that because of the fact that they're. Uh, not many proven guys at corner. Um, if there were three really good corners, I don't think there'd be any reason to change it. I think the other thing that's interesting is we kind of look ahead to the future of the safety position. And I think if you stick with that one safety look, then it, it is going to limit the opportunities that some of the other guys you have in that pipeline are going to have to play, whether that's you know Ronnie Hickman or Bryson Shaw, or that's a Lathan Ransom coming in as a freshman. Court Williams is a guy we've talked about before. I think they're going to find a way for him one way or another, uh, whether he's a safety or a linebacker. I think that's going to depend uh, on what they decide to do schematically. But, you know, it, it does, you know, raise some questions about, okay, where exactly your guy's going to fit in. And I think you see that when you look ahead to their recruiting class of 2021, where they have a couple guys in there, uh, Jansen Dunn, Andre Turrentine, who uh, maybe they're a safety, maybe they're a corner, but they don't have anybody in that class who's 100% for sure a safety. And I think that's in large part because of the fact that we don't know exactly what the defense is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I Would you agree that both in the short term and long term that this is the position that you have the most question marks about? Not not necessarily about the personnel, but just how they're going to be deployed. Yeah, I'd say it's right up there. Yeah, I mean that's where that that's where it is to me. The the young group of talent, you know, Ronnie Hickman, a former high end four star guy, Bryson Shaw, former lacrosse all American, uh, Maryland lacrosse commit. You have Lathan Ransom, who I know Ryan Day said was going to be the next great thing, and then Court Williams, who is another high-end four-star guy. You know, those four guys, uh, when you look down the road, what does that make you think that Ohio State's going to do? And I know that it's, it's, it's impossible, but if you were to predict, do you think that the way they've been recruiting makes you think they're going to go more to safety, 
or the way they've been recruiting maybe makes you think that they're going to stick to the single safety and have a couple of those guys go to bullet? Or do you think it's 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 not even worth <laughs> discussing because it's impossible to know? Yeah, I mean, for the sake of discussion, because it's fun to discuss, I, I think... I think there's got to be some combination of those first two, I think, because otherwise you're going to just have a total logjam at the position. I, 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 do think, I do think there's going to be more of a role for a second safety than what we saw last year. I think, I think last year was the perfect storm for Ohio State to go so strictly with a one-safety look, both because you had three phenomenal corners and because you had a guy in Pete Warner who could be both that safety slash bullet and that Sam linebacker so I think they had the personnel they had last year you know it you know all of those guys were firmly ahead of who the second safety was going to be you know I know I think there were some thought that we'd see Josh Proctor a little more we actually did see him a little more at the end of the year and it backfired but I I think just because we saw so much one safety last year doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case going forward. I, but I think the question is, will we actually see more you know, traditional two safety looks or is it more of a bullet roll? And, and I think it's also, you know, some of you other guys, I mean, I, I remember the one practice we did get to see, I think both Ronnie Hickman and Bryson Shaw were basically playing slot corner. So... These guys aren't all going to be deep safeties in a single high defense. That it, it, that's not going to happen. If 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 you're going to go forward with playing single high safety most of the time, then you know you really can't have a lot of guys just play in that position, or they're not going to get on the field. So uh, I I think it's all to be determined. Um, but but I, I do think there's going to be more of a role uh, going forward for you know at least two guys who would primarily identify as safeties. Yeah, one of my takes about, you know, the state of the safety position is that I think it's pretty loaded with young guys. Like I think it's I think people sleep on what Ohio State has at safety among its underclassmen. I mean, cuz you can also count Marcus Hooker as a redshirt sophomore there and then you have Ronnie Hickman, Bryson Shaw, Lathan Ransom, Court Williams, and I get that it's not like all those guys are going to play the exact same true safety position, but I think they gave a lot of versatility. Um, I don't think that I don't. I, I look at those guys, and I think that all of them can be really good starters and potentially develop into NFL prospects. Like I really like what Ohio State has there, and I think that I think I like their long-term safeties probably more than I like their long-term cornerbacks which with Kerry Combs back in Columbus will inevitably make me wrong because nobody develops corners like Kerry uh, Combs. But at least at the moment, I, I really do like the safeties that they have long term. And I think it's going to prove beneficial down the line. Well, I think the benefit of playing a single high safety system is you don't have to hit on as many guys at safety because you really just need to have you know one really good one you obviously need to have depth they got lucky that Jordan Fuller really didn't miss any time last year but you know I think it, it you know you don't need as many guys to be great safeties if you're playing a single high system I mean I think I'm just thinking of 2018 in my head when there it took them 
most of the season until Brendan White finally started playing for them to find a competent second safety. Uh, so I think it helps uh, guard against that. Of course, you, you need to have you know really good corners if you're going to do that. So you know ultimately, you just got to you you got to have good defensive backs. And the good news is, like you mentioned, they've got Kerry Combs who uh, has. I would say the best track record in college football of any defensive backs coach out there. So uh, he hasn't been the safeties coach at Ohio State before. He was only the cornerbacks coach, but I don't really have any doubt that Kerry Combs is going to, and obviously Matt Barnes is going to help too, but I, I don't really have any doubt that Kerry Combs is going to be able to delete, uh, to develop elite players at both cornerback and safety because uh, his track record speaks for itself. Presumably not delete them. That would be a, no, be no. I I, I uh, compounded <laughs> those words there as I was trying to say them. Yes, uh, the the other guys that we should mention long term: Jansen Dunn and Andre Turrentine are both commits. Could end up at cornerback. Could end up at safety. You also have Jalen Johnson in the class. So if you look at recruiting services, is listed as a safety, but it seems like you know he might be more likely to play that bullet role. And I think that when you just look down the line. You have so many guys who can play so many different places that, like for discussion's sake, it's worth it's worth trying to figure out what they're going to do. But a lot of it will depend on how guys develop, how their bodies develop, and putting the best guys on the field. And I just do think that having all this talent at safety is going to benefit them in the long term and, and give them, you know, a chance to a chance to do whatever they want. Like I, I think that when you have good safeties. It allows you a lot more versatility on the defense. And maybe that wasn't even necessarily the case last year. I think last year it was more so the fact that you had Jordan Fuller, who just happened to be exactly what you needed to make the rest of the defense work. I think it could be the opposite in in future years where you build a defense knowing what you have at safety and figure out, you know, things on the back end around them. And that was a little bit different than what happened a year ago. It's such an important. It's such an important position. I, just, I think you know. We saw two years ago. We saw the opposite of that. Uh, it, it's such an important position because you, you've got to have, you've got to have solid playback there, or, or you know, teams are going to make big plays over the middle against you. So uh, it, it's a very important position. Uh, certainly need guys to step up right now. Uh, but I agree with you. I think I think there's plenty of talent there. Uh, now it's just all about. You know how do those guys develop, and you know certainly if there's a season this fall, uh, whether you know Proctor and Hooker, namely, are gonna be uh, ready to really play those key roles on the back end. Should we talk about what we think, Dan? Yeah, we might as well. Three things we think are uh, aptly named series where we give everybody three things we think. Really complicated stuff, I know. Do you? What's have on your mind? What's on your we- mind, Colin? Oh, you want me to start? Go for it. I think I, I started start. last week. Okay, that makes sense. So I, you know, this, I don't even, this isn't like a take or anything. I just think it's so weird that I can go to AAU basketball tournaments. I can go, I, I went last week to a football, to multiple football workouts. And at the same time, we're having the whole conversation about college football and everything getting started. And it's just, you know, it's just so weird to me that I can do these certain things, and at the same time, it seems less certain than ever that college football is going to be played. And I'm not even saying any part of it's necessarily bad. It's just I think it's hard to wrap the mind um, around, and I think that 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 
might be the case for a lot of people who are seeing kids going and playing basketball, football, other sports with each other. Um, I know I might go to a basketball tournament in Fort Wayne, Indiana this weekend. There's another one. It's in Sandusky. I know, you know last week I went to um, Akron for a, to, to see a football player and also Strongsville. And I, it's just so fascinating to go into these environments and think about what Ohio State's trying to figure out, which all eyes are on them, but at the same time, you know, all of these other players are playing in games right now, and I don't know what's right, I don't know what's wrong. I just thought, I just think it's weird, and it's something that it was notable to me having seen all of this. Yeah, I agree with you there, and you know, it's why sometimes I, I, I do think that sometimes, uh, I mean, again, I think, you know, as we talked about before, uh, this college football season's in, in very real jeopardy. To, to, to deny that in any way uh, would be foolish at this point, but I also think that, you know, when, when people start talking about, you know, oh, you know, next year and, and, and all this stuff, and obviously there's a lot of different variables that go into it, but there, there are a lot of sports that are happening now or are really ramping up to happen. I mean, you, you've been covering hockey, you know, they're, they're getting ready to play in a few weeks. The NBA is getting ready to play in a few few weeks. Uh, you know, there's, you know, there's been... You know, soccer, MLS's back tournament has been going on. MLB's getting ready to play again soon. You know, PGA Tour is playing. There's, there's, there's a lot of different sports going on out there. And, you know, I think those are showing that, you know, sports can still happen. You know, like you mentioned, going to AAU tournaments. I was at a recruiting camp on Saturday and, you know, was, was watching that. And, you know, again, it's, it's different than actually playing a football game. But... You know, you've got you know hundreds of kids out there, and guess what? They're, they're there because they want to be there. You know, that's, I mean, and that's that's the thing is, you know, these guys want to compete, and if and if there isn't a season, these guys are still going to find ways to go out and compete because that's just what they want to do. So, you know, I, I I think that's all worth considering in terms of you know making these decisions about the season and it can't be the only consideration and you know certainly uh, I think it already has been a consideration in terms of why everyone's trying to make this happen but you know I do think you need to you know look at that and realize like these kids are going out there and competing they want to compete you know I, I, I think you have a, a lot of people who are rightfully concerned about the fact that these are unpaid athletes who could be getting thrown out uh, there to play college football and something could happen to them and they don't have the same kind of protections necessarily than a professional athlete would. But at the same time, you look at it, you know, these kids, you know, playing AAU basketball or going to recruiting camps, you know, they're not doing that for money either. They're doing it because they just want to be out there and they just want to compete any way they can. Dan, what's, what's the first thing that you think? I think Ohio State should release its COVID-19 testing numbers. And I fought this for a while, so I probably sound like a broken record. And some of you probably think I'm just uh, complaining because it it makes my job more difficult as a reporter. But I think Ohio State should release its COVID-19 testing numbers, especially after what happened this past week. Because based on everything I've heard and based on how quickly Ohio State was able to come back, it seems like 
what caused them to shut down was not some major outbreak. It, it seems like it was probably a small, a small-ish number of individuals who tested positive, but big enough that they felt they had to stop everything. They had to test everybody before they kept going, which I, which I think was a good move for Ohio State. I think it was. I think Ohio State acted out of uh, precaution, and I think that was a very good move for Ohio State to do that. But I think by not releasing the COVID-19 testing numbers, I think you make it look like the situation's worse than it is. I think when you're when you're not putting the numbers out there, it makes it look like you have something to hide. And I know Ohio State uh, keeps going back to, we're not going to release the numbers because of privacy concerns and we don't want athletes to be identified uh, because we uh, released those numbers. But I really don't think that would happen. I mean, I think it was known this past week that there were athletes who tested positive or they wouldn't have shut it down, and I didn't hear anything about any athletes being identified because of it. So I understand it. I, you know, I, I think Ohio State tends to be very protective about this kind of stuff, and I understand why. But I, I think in this case... I think they're hurting themselves by being overprotective because I think it makes it look like they have something to hide. And ultimately, when I was talking about the Big Ten protocols before, I wouldn't be surprised if ultimately there ends up being a Big Ten protocol that forces all of these schools to report this. Because to me, I think if you're going to have a season, I, I, I think you've got to know. I, I think it's got to be out there how many positive cases there are on every team if you're going to have a season. I, I think you're going to have to be transparent about that. But I, I just think Ohio State is maybe being a little too overprotective and a little too stubborn here in its decision to not release its COVID-19 testing numbers like so many other schools have done. If I were an Ohio State student, a parent of a student, or a professor, I would want to know what's going on right now and, and what the state of COVID-19 at Ohio State is right now, even though obviously there aren't the thousands of students on campus that there normally would be. I would want to know what, you know, what's happening right now, and the fact that Ohio State's denying that from them, I think, is unfortunate. So, I'm right there with you, and, you know, I thought maybe after this, Ohio State would come out and, and disclose its tests, but obviously that, that hasn't happened, and, you know, We'll see. We'll see what happens there. My uh, my second thought, Dan, you referenced it a little bit earlier in passing, but you know I don't think that having the NFL draft prospects sit out in the spring is a great reason to not move the season, unless it gets to the point, you know, unless it gets to the point where we're actually talking about a real spring football season, and it turns out that like. 25 guys on Ohio State's team don't want to play in the spring and have decided to opt out unless it becomes such a wide um, deal that nobody wants to play then I would understand it but if we're only talking about you know I don't know 30 35 40 45 50 guys across college football yeah it would really suck it would be terrible for Justin Fields and Sean Wade and whoever else on Ohio State not to play that would obviously change things to, to a great degree. But if it gets to the point where you're wondering, is it even worth playing a season in the spring? To me, that doesn't really factor into whether it's good or bad. I think that's just a thing that would happen. And yeah, it would be terrible. 
But if you can play football and you think it's safe and you think that the other considerations are okay, I think that I, I don't think that that should be anything remotely that's holding you back. I just think yes, of course it it would be terrible for for a good amount of teams that that would lose their stars. Yeah, I think that's a reason to try to try to do whatever you can to play it in the fall because you know that that's probably going to happen if you move the season to the spring. But I don't think if spring is your only option that that, that makes it a reason not to play in the spring. Because I, I, I feel like I've seen some overreactions out there. I mean, I've, I've seen some people predicting that a majority of team starters won't play in the spring. I think that's a massive overreaction because uh, even at Ohio State, I mean, we talked about it, I think it was last week, and there might only be two guys Justin Fields and Sean Waite, who would for sure be in that boat uh, of guys who it would make sense uh, to, to to go prepare for the NFL draft rather than play a spring season. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I think the thing that, you know, I, I thought about briefly the other day is I think it would be fascinating because I think it could actually end up leading to – more parity than we've seen in college football in years because the teams that would be most affected by guys not playing to prepare for the NFL would be the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, Oklahomas, these really top teams. And I think it might actually give some of those second and third tier teams, which I don't think would necessarily have as many guys uh, that they'd have to worry about that with. I think it might actually give those teams more of a shot uh, so I think I think it would be interesting. Like you said, I think there's a lot of considerations that go into that, and I think you hope that it doesn't come to that. But no, I don't. I don't think the fact that those guys uh, might leave would be reason enough just not to play in the spring at all. Yeah, I mean, I think Brian Snow is a great um, college basketball recruiting analyst, but like he had tweeted earlier today, you know, if I'm a potential seventh round pick, then I'm not playing. I. I that to me, I just don't get it. I mean, maybe I'll understand it when all of these all of these potential seventh round picks say that they wouldn't play in this ring. But if I were, I don't know, Jonathan Cooper, Tough Boyland, I don't know, I would play. I I don't think that that would be the reason not to play. I don't know. That's sort of, that that's my take. Is if you know if if it gets to the point that we're actually having to figure out whether to move it to the spring. That shouldn't that shouldn't be a reason why not to. I think people grossly overestimate the number of of players in in college football right now that are ready to go get drafted by the NFL right now. I mean, I I I, I don't think it's what people think it is. I, I don't think there's 256 guys right now that NFL teams would feel confident drafting if they never played another college football game. Teams want to see tape of these guys. They, they, they want to see these guys play another year. So I think if there's a spring season, I you know, I, again, I think if you're a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence, it probably does not make sense for you to play more football. But I think, you know, if you're, you know, I mean, the reality is the draft process, if, if we're talking about the possibility of a spring season before an April NFL draft, the regular NFL draft process isn't going to happen. There's not going to be pro days on campus. There, there probably won't even be a combine because there's not, there's not going to be enough players to do that. They're, they're, most of them are going to still be playing college football. So I, I, I think if that were to happen, and I'm, and I, I don't necessarily buy the whole the NFL's not going to budge. They can say that now. If there was actually a spring season, I think they might budge. But if they didn't. 
then I think it would just change the draft process in a big way. I think it would just, I think realistically, it would just mean, you know, guys are playing a lot closer to the draft. And it, and it, and honestly, other than those top guys, it might just put a greater emphasis on what you do in your final season of college football because it would be fresh in guys, it would be fresh in teams' minds before the draft, rather than months of, uh, you know, running forty-yard dashes and uh, doing uh, drills against air. Dan, what's your second thing that you've been thinking about over the past week? Gene Smith told. Buckeye Sports Bulletin in an interview last week that Ohio State is not going to play, uh, most likely not going to play any more basketball games in St. John Arena. I think that's a mistake because I think uh, there's been a lot of excitement for those games for the last couple years. I think it's been a great way to get people uh, excited about a non-conference basketball game uh, in the, while football season is still going on that otherwise no one would have cared about. And you know, I, I, I realize there, there are probably very valid reasons for that in that, uh, you know, they're contracted to play a certain number of games in a shot. They've got uh, preseason tournaments lined up the next few years, which means they'll have less home games. Uh, obviously, the infrastructure at St. John is not what it is at the shot. So I, there's obviously challenges in terms of actually hosting games there and and it probably makes it more difficult on the teams by just not having all the resources that they do in the shot. But St. John Arena is cool. Uh, I think if you poll Ohio State basketball fans, you're going to find very few who would say they prefer the shot over St. John Arena. So I think not playing uh, any any more games there, not not finding a way to make that happen, I think that's a mistake. I think that's disappointing. And unfortunately... Those comments to me, if, if I'm reading between the lines, tells me that St. John's days are probably numbered as a building itself. Yeah, I think it's 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 just so unfortunate. I think if all things were great equal and you could make the amount of money that you could make um, in the Schottenstein Center, I do think that you would see Ohio State playing more games at St. John. But when you... You know, when you read that story um, from BSB, there was a quote in there that he had talked about. We did take a hit when we went over there last year, and I just can't do that again. And obviously, you don't have to be a detective to figure out that he's talking about, you know, the monetary hit. And I do wonder as well whether going forward, when you have athletic departments strapped for cash right now, that I'm sure it'll take multiple years to make up, whether that hurts you know the the potential for future st john arena games even further yeah no that that's a valid point and i mean i i honestly don't know the financials of it maybe that's something we we can look into if <laughs> we need more months to fill content here uh if there's no football season but uh yeah that, that's a good point i i don't know you know how those financial calculations work out i'm, I'm sure there are additional expenses of just playing a game over there uh, so I don't know exactly how that works, uh, but certainly if, if they're losing money on it, you know that's a that's reason enough for them not to do it. Uh, but I think it's disappointing from a fan's perspective uh, because you know I I know that you know I I just enjoyed going to those games. You know I don't I don't go to many uh, non non conference basketball games during football season, but even I uh, wanted to go to those games just to be there, uh, just because it was it was really fun uh, to see those games played in St. John. Yeah, I, I mean those are those are always the best. So for my my third thought, Dan, is the NCAA right now 
has only one right move for C.J. Saunders, and that's to approve his eligibility for his sixth year. Because, you know, I checked in with his dad again earlier today on Tuesday because when Jalen Gill got his uh, approval for immediate eligibility, I mean, it makes you wonder what's up with C.J. CJ Saunders and his application for his sixth year. And his dad said, you know, they're still waiting. It's July 14th. What, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? What is anybody waiting for? What's the NCAA waiting for? What's CJ and his, his family waiting for? I just don't understand. I mean, it makes no sense. And I think that if you were, at this point, the NCAA, if you're to say that, no, we're going to deny CJ a sixth year, could you even imagine that? It would make no sense. And beyond that, I just think it would be downright cruel to, to, to have this holdover for so many months and then do that. So, yeah, I'm operating... Um, with the idea that he'll be back for the sixth season. But what are we waiting for in Boy? Yeah, I had that on my list that I figured I'd save it for the last one because I figured it was going to be one of yours since you had uh, tweeted about it earlier Tuesday. But yeah, I, I had just written down, what the hell is taking the NCAA so long with C.J. Saunders? Because, I mean, even if you just look at it in a, in a vacuum, what does the NCAA have to lose from giving C.J. Saunders a six-year of eligibility. And we're not talking about a star player here. We're talking about a former walk-on who's a great story of going from being a walk-on to being a team captain, somebody who's a great leader. Ohio State's not going to get some great competitive advantage by C.J. Saunders being granted a six-year of eligibility. But this is the kind of guy that you should want to help out. Somebody who's done all the right things in his Ohio State career. I mean, somebody who went to the forefront of a Black Lives Matter movement that you should be supporting right now if you're at the NCAA. And, and so I just don't see what the possible downside could be in not giving C.J. Saunders that six year of eligibility, especially when you consider that a year from now, these, these, a lot of these restrictions are probably going to be relaxed anyway. So I don't, I don't think you're opening Pandora's box by giving C.J. Saunders a six year of eligibility. I mean, they gave Justin Hilliard a six year of eligibility a year ago, almost at this point. So I don't know what is taking so long. And, and, and to me, I think if you're going to continue to have this waiver process, it sure would be nice to see some more transparency from the NCAA's end because you do you wonder okay why does a Jalen Gill or, or a JT Daniels who you can assume transferred mostly because of playing time reasons uh, why they're getting a transfer waiver you know granted in two months after transferring but a CJ Saunders uh, can't even get a ruling on his hardship waiver for. You know, seven months. Uh, you know, while there's not even any games happening. So, yeah. I mean, it, 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 one way or another, the NCAA just needs to make a decision here because uh, certainly, you know, if if the team's able to start camp here in a couple weeks, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen. But if they are, uh, you got you got to give Ohio State an answer. You got to give C.J. Saunders an answer of whether he's going to be able uh, to play this season of college football because there's just no reason at this point that it should have taken this long. That's just a fact. I mean, it's it, the days crawl by and I forget about it, and the fact that they're still waiting, ludicrous. But yeah, it's man, every time I see somebody else get a waiver, I go, I just think, what the hell is taking so long with C.J. Saunders? It makes no sense. Dan, what's the last thing that you've been thinking about this, this week? 
right, this this will kind of go back to your number two points somewhat, but it's something I've been thinking about is if there's no college football, you know, this this fall or or whatever, and you know, all these pro sports are playing. What I wonder is, you know, is this going to be a permanent blow to college sports in terms of elite athletes actually playing college sports? Because I think you see the chat, you really see the difference here now between this amateurism model the NCAA has tried to perpetuate and the pro model, and it, 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 it gives a lot more variables that the NCAA now has to consider in whether it can actually, you know, play college sports this fall versus pro leagues who, you know, they can negotiate with players. They, they can kind of, they can set up these bubbles or they can set up these different protocol for athletes. You know, and to me, like, I, these things usually don't work. But, like, we've already seen it with the G League that they've got some momentum going here. They're, they're getting these highly touted basketball recruits to, to go play there for a year before they go to the NBA. And, like, if I was, you know, in the football space right now, I'd be thinking about, okay, like, if these guys aren't going to be able to play college football all year, you know, is there is there a way that I can do something to, to, to create an opportunity for football players who are willing to, to take the risk, who are willing to go play, uh, that's separate from from college athletics, and I just wonder that you know if if this could you know lead to more of those opportunities, semi-pro opportunities, or whatever you want to call them, you know, to to really differentiate that athlete from being a student athlete, where you have a lot of considerations uh, that the NCAA has to take into consideration, but that others might not have to. Yeah, I, I, like you said, it's just. <laughs> Everything is just so weird in this time that you know when, when you are when you're not a professional organization, it's just it's just so different. It's so much tougher. Um, I don't know. I, I think I don't know. I, I just think right now I'm so I, I I am so glad that I'm in the position right now and don't have to make these decisions. <laughs> I don't know how often that thought goes through your mind, but that's a daily thought for me. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, this this is not a good position to be in for anybody. I mean, these are. I mean, I think about just the stress we have of thinking about. Okay, what are we gonna What are we gonna write about? How How are we gonna do our jobs if there's no football? And then you know, you to think about being in a position to have to make these decisions that affect. Uh, you know, I mean, some some of these decisions are are are, are going to affect. You know, tens of thousands of athletes here. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure to make the right decision, and there's really no easy answer for any of these questions. No, there really isn't. Um, do you have a fourth thing that you thought? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, no, I, that's all I got. Uh, we only we're only allowed to think three things this week, Dan. <laughs> three things at a time. No one would ever want us after, to think more a, than that. After that's you think of three things for the week, you just shut off your brain and you stop thinking of other things. Exactly, and that's why we bring on the questions. I know we got a few of them. Um, our first one from our prolific question asker, Genna Juice. He asks, if you were a nin- if you were a teenage mutant ninja turtle, who would you be? And I'm going to be honest, Dan. I've never watched the show. I'm going to be honest, Colin. I've never watched the show. So... 
this this is not good. But he, he did give us some clues here. I think maybe anticipating that we maybe weren't too familiar with a show. He said so he said Leonardo leads. He said Donatello does machines. I don't know what that means. That Raphael is cool but rude. And Michelangelo is a party dude. I'm gonna so I'll put it this way. Based on those descriptions, who would you say I am? <laughs> well, I'm going to rule out a couple right now. I'm going to rule out Dust Machines and Is a Party Dude. Yes, those are the two so I want to rule out, too. So all we're down to is Leeds and Is Cool But Rude. And since you're the one who begins the podcast, I'll give you Leonardo for Leeds, and I'll give me... Uh, Raphael, I, I probably pronounced that wrong. I've never watched a show even once. I'm probably uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, I'll be the cool but rude one. Yeah, I, I don't know that you're rude. I was gonna give myself Leonardo, but then I'm like, that sounds really arrogant if I just go with a one that's lead. So I wasn't that's, gonna. Dan, you know what that is? That's a leader move, right? That's there. a leader. Yeah, that's a leader right there. Yeah, you gotta, exactly. gotta step up. So yeah, I'll, I'll say that I'm Leonardo, and I guess uh, Colin's gonna go with Raphael here. Daniel asks, so if Ohio State ends up playing Michigan twice this year, as some think, some think might happen, does each player get two pairs of gold pants? And if so, does a sit-seer player like Justin Hilliard finish his career with seven pairs? And I love this question, too, because there is no, you know, what if Ohio State only wins one of the games? The question is, would Ohio State get two pairs of gold pants, not what would happen in those two games? Yeah, that's a great question. I have absolutely no idea. Um, oh, I've got an idea. They're gonna give him two pairs. I mean, you get will, yeah. you get one you get one for every single time you beat Michigan, and I think that I think I think you would deserve two pairs as well. And that's like to me like when I first heard that rumor, and, and to be honest, I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. But when I, when I first heard that rumor of Ohio State could maybe play Michigan in a home and home in one season, at first I was opposed to it because I'm like. You know, there's so much tradition in that game, and I feel like, you know, if you played it twice, like, that might take away from it. Like, you, know, you think about that preparing all year for about one game. If it was two games, I don't think it would have quite the same appeal. But now I'd kind of want to see it happen, just because it would be so different, and we've already talked about how this is going to be such an abnormal season. Like, just to see it, to see that rivalry play out twice in one year uh, would be pretty fun. And, I mean, I mean, shoot. If if Ohio State won two games against Michigan in one year, my God, Jim Harbaugh's seat better be hot. <laughs> yes, that that is your fourth thought, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a if 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 that happens, if Ohio State if 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 we if we see the Big Ten schedule this week and Ohio State's playing Michigan twice, then we're gonna have a podcast next week because we're gonna have to discuss that if that happens. Yes, we will. Um, Bartholomew. <laughs> I guess he's following up with uh, our uh, WWF tag team question from last week. Um, didn't really think that was going to have a follow-up, but here we are. He's asking, is your nickname pronounced D-Unit or D-Unit? D-Unit. All right. That's all we need to know. Absolutely. Final question. Goes back to the more normal side of things. John Glure, 8287. In 2014, if Braxton Miller never got hurt, 
does Ohio State still win a title? That's a great what if question. Like that would be a great uh, if there's no football in September and we need content and and things to discuss. That would be a great like what if to to talk about. Because I I don't know. It's it's one of those questions. Uh, I don't know. I mean I you know I I, I remember thinking back to that uh, July and and hearing that. Uh, he got hurt and thinking, well, there goes Ohio State's national championship hopes, and obviously that proved to be wrong. But you know, I don't know. I mean, my my hunch is almost no because it just fe- that 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 season it just feels like one of those years where everything happened for a reason and everything just kind of built up to what it ultimately became. But I also think you know because of what happened that year. We tend to forget how good Braxton Miller actually was uh, back in 2012 and 2013, and, and you know he, he was such a you know an electric player before he uh, hurt his shoulder uh, that you know when you look at the talent he, he had around him and you know that same talent that led him to a national championship Ezekiel Elliott and the slobs up front and Michael Thomas and Devin Smith and a great defense uh, that all still would have been there and, and Braxton Miller was a great player so. Uh, I think they certainly could have. It's it's so hard to say because it just feels like you know the way things happened that year with Cardale Jones coming in and uh, just taking off the way he did. It's like everything just happened the way it was supposed to happen. Uh, but I think it would have been a very fun year to watch with Braxton Miller. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean it would have been a thrill to see. It's you're right in in that like that thing played out like such a storybook. But how in the world am I supposed to figure out if they would win or not? I think, I mean, also, I wasn't covering the team back then. I was I was just watching games in dorms. I was definitely not actually, you know, rewatching them trying to figure out what was happening. So my opinion is definitely not the one you're going to want to go on. But at the same time, like, I think you would have to match them up against, like, what would Ohio State with Braxton Miller at quarterback do against Oregon and Alabama? I think that that's the that's the those are the two games that you'd have to figure out because yeah I do think he could have actually gotten Ohio State to that point hypothetically maybe you wouldn't lose the early season game you do to Virginia Tech but um, I would lean towards yes just with the talent on that team but it just it's such a different team and it would take such a different path if that didn't happen that it's just. It was such a magical season. It really was when you look back on it. And it and it's funny, like the 2019 season to me, this was actually going to be one of my thoughts, and I and I just remember it now. Like I think the 2019 team might be the best Ohio State football team that I ever see with my two eyes. Like it was unbelievable. It really was. And I think that we're going to look back on it in a few years and think, wow, like this is all the talent. This they had things humming to this degree, and the fact it didn't make it out of the semifinal is is so wild. But even that season, it was blowout, 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 and that wasn't necessarily the path that it took in 2014. Obviously, with the early season loss. So I think it's just, I think that one is one of the most difficult what ifs to actually figure out what would have happened. I would lean towards yes, because like you said, Braxton was a great quarterback, but it's not a certainty. Well, I usually close off our podcast by saying we'll talk to you again next week, but 
I'm not positive if we're going to, <laughs> as I mentioned. We'll try. Yeah. Uh, early in the show, it, it's uh, yeah, we're gonna try. Um, it, it's gonna depend on what happens here uh, over the next week, and you know, hopefully, we'll hopefully we'll get some good news, and hopefully, hopefully, pretty soon we'll uh, you know have some football going on, and we'll be able to talk about that. And uh, uh, if we do, uh, and we'll certainly be uh, podcasting every week, and. Uh, have plenty to talk about, so that's certainly what we're hoping. Uh, but you know, going to be going to be some anxious weeks here uh, coming up. So uh, I guess I'll just close by first of all saying, say, stay safe. Uh, I highly encourage you to wear a mask if you you uh, want to see college football and want to do your part uh, to limit the spread of COVID nineteen. And you know, let's just all hope for the best. Let's just all hope uh, that you know this this virus starts to fade and that you know we all we all collectively as a nation. Uh, do what we do what we can uh, to try to beat this virus, and and hopefully we'll get to see some football this fall. Because I know I sure want to, and I, I know all of you do as well. So thanks again uh, for listening in uh, to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.